0: This is the DTV Digest, the podcast that brings you news and reviews of films which didn't make it to the cinema. And now, here's your host, Mike Parkin.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 65 of the DTV Digest. I'm your host, Mike Parkin, and joining me via Skype is the Shockpit's Dave Wayne. Good evening. Good evening, Dave. How are you doing?
2: I'm bursting with wonder and pomposity. Yeah. Outstanding. Couldn't be better.
1: Awesome. And you've been delving into the Rand was it the Randolph Scott box set or something?
0: Yeah.
2: Um I've been looking at the work of Indicator. These mm-hmm. last uh, few weeks, uh, I, I get lost in shock sometimes, mm. I don't know if that ever happens to you. Where you just tend to watch the same old kind of stuff, which is good, but you know, you don't tend to stray out of your comfort zone. Sure. So I thought some, some Bud Bataka westerns
1: might change. Sorry, can you repeat that, Dave? You went a bit then.
2: Yeah, so I thought some Bud Bataka westerns from the 50s might change that. Um, but I had I had an article put up on the blacklist uh, yeah, this I swear week. To
3: that, yeah,
2: I'm proud of it because we we mentioned the blacklist a few times in the show. Um, it's that website that keeps track of all those scripts that don't get made. And so you look in the trivia section for a few films, and you'll hmm. see it was on the blacklist of 2013 best unmade scripts. So you collect all these unmade scripts and just sort of rank them. And, um, eventually they get picked up. But yeah, they've they got a great blog over there as well. And, um, one, one of the girls, who's an amazing writer, did a, um, a stupendous piece on, on video stores and their role in, um, and their role in 2018. And oh. she went some of her video shops in, in LA to see how they were adapting and what was going on just just the numbers that you came out with it was just astonishing you know when you think of back in 2010 Netflix had 6700 films yeah uh, but here we are eight years later they have half that amount just over 3,000. Um, so although Netflix gives us the illusion of choice, we're actually getting less and less choice so yeah. I just wrote a little piece about how I worry for the next generation that we were very lucky, we were very lucky the way that, I don't know how you got into films as a, as a kid, but mm. for me and for so many people around my age group it was just going to a video shop and just picking up stuff that you didn't know what it was yeah. uh, and just having that option to, to look at a whole cacophony of films, there was no rules, there was no well it's, it's going to be Netflix only, it's going to be Netflix original, it's going to be Amazon Prime original, there's no, mm. it's just everything is there, and so I just sort of concerned you know with with the with the you know, if you just think of the statistic the so prior to nineteen ninety Netflix has ninety-eight films ninety-eight films made prior to nineteen ninety and that's a scary thought yeah. and it just worries me the kids are gonna miss out on um, not just horror films I mean just any good film from the thirties, forties, fifties, sixties and I just I don't know how they're gonna watch it. I mean even if I mean I'm not I'm obviously very anti-piracy. Um well, with my job, but even if you were to go on to um, some other streaming sites out there where you can download stuff, you, can, you can't pick up, you know, stuff from the 50s and 60s because no one's sharing it. So, yeah. yeah,
1: it's, it's pretty uh, niche, yeah, on, on, on those sort of sites. Yeah, I so totally agree that. with
2: you, yeah. Mm, no, no, I mean i mean you're, you're in a different situation i mean you've got a kid mm-hmm. and um, you're in quite a privi- privileged position where you'll be introducing him to um you know things that influenced you and you'll be have that responsible parent mm-hmm. thing of sort of curating the kind of things he gets into but if you're a kid of you are a teenager and your parents aren't into films how are you going to become into films without you know i, I don't know i'm waffling you know
1: well, on on the on the other show that I do, the the Smoking Lamb, we have a section called Educating Josh because one of my co-hosts is in his early twenties, yeah. And you know, even though he's he's very fanatical about film, you know, there's mm-hmm. a huge gap in his his knowledge and his you know his his back catalogue of films yeah. and things. So you know, I I every, every week we set him a bit of homeworks, you know, a film that he hasn't seen before. Um, Mm -hmm. And sometimes, you know, he'll resist saying, look, no, I said a classic, and I'll be going, it is a classic, you'd have to watch (laughs) it, you know. (laughs) What
2: what kind of things things
1: do you say? Oh, I've I've given him Midnight Sting, um, The Hidden, uh, Cobra, I gave him one week, Uh, but then, you know, some other things like, you know, the man who shot Liberty Valance. Um, mm-hmm. I think we did Ben Hur one week. He hated that yeah. because it was like four hours long, <laughs> you know, <laughs> stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, so 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 a bit of a mix, you know. Um, just just filling in gaps as we go. Um, it's think, cool. It is. It's good, you know. And, and the way he looks at it, the way there's the slant is that um, you know, he looks at it as would that film still stand up to to today's audience? You know, to to people his age. Yeah. Um, which, you know, we, we, we've had our differences because he absolutely hated mm. Near Dark. Um, that was, really? <laughs> yeah, the very first film I gave him, he said it was too slow and boring. <laughs> Ugh, Philistine. But yeah, um, yeah so you absolutely right. And, and the thing is, when I was growing up, I was kind of the same. I, used to, I was very resistant to anything in black and white growing up. Oh, um, mm-hmm. you know, It took a long time for me to sort of appreciate that. And it, funny enough, it probably was the man who shot Liberty Valance. Uh, sort of turn yeah. up for me because when I saw that and saw the way it was structured I thought wow mm. that's you know that's really um you know quite quite different to what I was would have expected so mm. yeah that that was sort of my gateway into sort of the oldest sort of you know go, going further back yeah um, yeah yeah but yeah so yeah i i I got taken of my comfort comfort zone today as well mm. um in a, in a totally different direction. I've been asked to review a film called Brothers in the Wind. No, brothers Brothers of the Wind. Yeah, uh, Jean Reno, and it's a it's a family movie, um, mm. and it turns out to be one of the best family movies I've ever seen. It is, you know, I mean, really. kind of putting it off, and it is about this this it's about this young boy who um, comes to the aid of a baby eagle when he gets thrown out of its nest, and he helps raise it, you know, and sort of teaching it how to fly and stuff, and it is. Just amazingly photographed, you know, um, sort of the nature photography that goes on in this film is absolutely ridiculous. And I am thinking, you know, surely at some point they used a CGI or they used a you know a puppet or something because there is no way other (laughs) other than those, you know, how how on earth they get the camera so close. But um, you know, I I, I couldn't tell you what was what, you know, if if that was the way it is. You just can't see the scenes at all. It is is incredibly impressive, yeah.
3: But it, you know,
2: again, you just—it's you know, it, so beneficial to go out your comfort zone because you do get stuck in a route and you do get stuck of going, you know, down the same old avenues which you enjoy.
3: Hmm. But I remember
2: once I, I got I got a gig with Screen Jabber, who um, was still going, I think, and um, it was the only screener gig that I've ever had. And so what would happen is the editor would send me like a stack of um, screeners to, to yeah. watch and review, and uh, I've never done that before, and so. The envelope, whatever was in the, the jiffy bag, I do, and hmm. I'd open that jiffy bag and I'd be, Jesus, this isn't me, you know, but it's surprising, you know, it's surprising once you really sit, sit down and watch something, how much, um, you know, you can really fall in love with something.
1: Absolutely. So, speaking of Fording in Love, we've got four films to uh, review today. Uh, Myself and Richard Halls will be taking a look at two Turkish war movies, um, Forgotten Soldiers and Brothers in Arms, and we'll get into those titles um, in a short while. And Dave and I will be looking at um, Sequence Break, which is currently available on Shudder, but is also actually coming out on DVD. Um, And Black Butterfly, starring... Um, Antonio Banderas and Jonathan Reese Myers. Um, but before we get into all of that, we're going to take a look at the DTV chart. Yes, it's the DTV chart, so this is the UK top 5 DTV releases in the top 100 DVD sales. And at number 5 is Storming Juno. This is a Canadian TV movie about the D-Day landings. Um, the trailer is actually pretty impressive. We talked about this in the washing up last time, Dave. Have you had a chance to watch this at all?
2: No, I, I didn't get it in, to be honest. Um, mm. I know we, we sort of uh, said that if it's as good as any Canadian films like um, Passion Day or whatever, then mm. it could have uh, potential. But I don't think any of the supermarkets near me, I'm going to go to every major supermarket on a Monday, I don't mm. think any of them got it in, which which was a surprise because of thought war film, you know, mm. Hello.
1: So it because it's at number five in the chat, which is... Yeah, exactly.
2: So, no, but that's a handy reminder to, yeah. to get out get out. And
1: I think we, we also mentioned that this is one of those sort of semi-documentary ones, isn't it? It's, it's, ah, um, that's right. Yeah, it's yeah. sort of in, interspersed with um, some talking heads, I think. Mm. Anyway, number four is Birth of the Dragon. Now, I, I ragged on this quite a bit last time. Um, this is supposedly about Bruce Lee. It's, it's more about a particular um, moment in his in his um, lifetime where he had a duel with a Shaolin master called Wong Jack Mang who had come across from China. Um, the film doesn't do a very good portrayal of Bruce Lee, um, but it does have its entertainment moments nevertheless. And at number three is Rex. My God, how long has this film been knocking around? It's still doing good business. Um, this is uh, also known as Megan Levy. Um, it doesn't seem to be going anywhere, Dave.
2: That's uh, a dog that wouldn't die. <laughs> <laughs> Someone put it down. I mean, you know, it's been long enough. You know, come on, Rexy. You know, mm-hmm. time for bedies.
1: <laughs> number two is Fred. Now, this is a documentary about a infamous um, British crime lord, uh, sort of British criminal gangster kind of guy. Um, I have no interest in this, but this sort of true crime stuff seems to be um, doing quite well for itself.
2: Yeah, and, likewise, no, no interest. No, it interest in nah,
1: doesn't, doesn't, doesn't do anything yeah. for me. And number one is Jurassic Predator. Um, this is the latest film by Andrew Jones, um i've just watched the trailer of this and you know there are, there are some of these usual um actors knocking around in this um it's not uh, let me let me get my words right this is along the same sort of lines or the same sort of budget as um werewolves of the ss or the third reich whatever it was called mm-hmm. um you know there is a dinosaur in there and there are some soldiers trying to track it down. There are some interesting scenes in there, in the, in the trailer. I just wish, I really wish that Andrew Jones would expand his, um, his budget just a little bit. Just to sort of get over the niggles that I have. Because the main niggle I have with this is you got this band of mercenaries after this dinosaur, whatever. And each one of them has got a different weapon. And one of them is carrying a Tommy gun, for fuck's sake. you know I mean just just please just spend a little bit money on your arsenal you know on your props just a little Mm. bit more just a sort of you know because that's the first thing I spotted I thought oh for fuck's sake you know is this set in the sort of roaring 20s you know ridiculous anyway but you've actually seen this Dave I mean um, do you want to sort of give us a a little bit of lowdown on it
2: no it's not my favourite to be honest Um, just the whole Jurassic Thing of yeah. late It's just is, becoming too great.
1: Bit. I mean, we, we talked about um, Jurassic Games the other week, yeah, uh, and how that film's sort of inception came about, literally because it was um somebody said, mm. "Hey, let, let's do a cash in on Jurassic World." Uh, and do you, think, do you think this is just every, every like paying the bill? Every one,
2: every one, of his films is, is done mm-hmm. by that concept. So every one of his films is done by by type, um, type
1: first. No, no, no.
2: It's done by committee. Um, Him and his producers literally sit down with the supermarkets and the film company, and they say, right, what's trending? And whatever's trending, whatever's selling in supermarkets, whether it be poltergeists, whether it be hauntings, whether it be dinosaurs, and it's like, right, Mm -hmm. here you go. Here's a concept. Go and write a film about this. And that's what every one of his films is based around.
1: He's, so, he's almost elevating um, the art of the asylum, basically, isn't he? He's out asyluming the, the asylum.
2: Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I, I just, I just didn't go for it really. Um, like I say, I'm a bit tired of the whole Jurassic phenomenon. Mm. But just in general, it's uh, um, it's a bit of a parody at times. So there's a mm. lot of humour in it, but the humour is tricky in low budget films. It often falls flat. Sure. Um, I just don't think the cast had the. At the, um, at the mouse on and how to sort of play that kind of humor. Because Andrew himself is obsessed with these, um, macaroni combat movies from the 1980s, the Italian yeah. film, you know, gang of uh, veterans going to Vietnam and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So this is a kind of 18 putting a band back together, gathering a crew to go and slay this dinosaur. But it's quite a short film. It's 68 minutes and you've got a weird 10 minute prologue that doesn't Really fit with the rest of the film, aside from introducing a character. But it's not necessary, and it's a bit drawn out. So essentially, you've got under an hour of movie, and it just... Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a, you know, I am a fan. Um I don't think they're Oscar winners by any means. Um, any of them, I wouldn't even watch for a second time. But I just like them because I appreciate what he's doing on a budget, and and he's Welsh, and I'm like three miles from the Welsh border, so. Um, But no, it's good to
1: see it's doing well. I mean, number one in the DTV chart, that's insane. It is insane, and um, it'll be interesting to see where it sits on our next episode, if if it even uh, still registers. But that is the DTV chart for this week. It's time for the coming soon section, and this week we've got six trailers to take a peek at, and we're going to kick off with a film called Passenger... No, we're not going to kick off with that. We're going to kick off with a film called The Fifth Passenger. Oh, I thought it was called Passenger 5, but it's not. The Fifth Passenger is a film set in a spaceship and it has a cast of very familiar faces. Uh, we've got Doug Jones, we've got um, Marina Sirtis and Tim Russ, um, knocking around from various v- versions of Star Trek. Um, but this is a very much a sort of typical sort of unwanted guests roaming the the corridors of a um, sort of low-budget spaceship. But uh, how do you get on with this?
2: Yeah, you, you did fail to mention that Mindy Robinson is also in this All film. Right. Mindy Robinson, you know, that last seen, I'm sure uh, everyone knows that you're in Evil Bong 7 um, mm-hmm. and Evil Bong 6 and Evil Bong Five, and I'll stop there. you four as well. Um, so, so it looks all right to be honest. Um, yeah, we all like the Jones. It's the directorial debut of Scotty Baker who directed it. It looks mm. low budget. Some of the effects are a bit, but um, I do have a bit of a weak spot for a kind of uh, you know event horizon riff in that claustrophobic setting. So, uh, I reckon this has got potential.
1: Yeah, I think so. Um, moving on to Enter the Fire. Now this is a low-budget martial arts movie um, set around San Francisco by the looks of it. Um, this is about a guy who um, is supposed to take a dive in a fight, decides not to, and then goes on the run, meets up with his brother, gets chased down by Lou Ferringo, and um, yeah a typical shenanigans ensue I'm sure. Uh, it's low budget, but I kind of like some of the dialogue that's going on. I saw the interplay between the two brothers I actually did like. I thought that was pretty smart. Um, and Lou Ferringo. I mean, he, you know, you know, the film that he was in last, was it last year? No. Oh. It's the one that was filmed in Bristol, but set in London. Can't remember what it's mm. called of the top of my head. Um, but he's still sort of like, you know, built like a shit brick house. He really is. Mm-hmm. Um... Ship brick house, anyway. Um, he, you know, he, he's still cut basically, is <laughs> what I'm trying to say. And yeah, this a low budget, but it, lo- it looks okay.
2: I think it looks quite awful in a last week. Um, I really do. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you why the first thing that really got on my goat mm-hmm. as a director, Phil Gorn, is he's, he's called his production company Wonder Phil Entertainment, and I just find that you know. 10 shades of embarrassing, I think it's, I mean, how, how, I mean, okay, you know, fair enough your name's Phil, but don't call you completely wonderful entertainment, because it's Mm -hmm. just embarrassing. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm more intrigued by his last film, which is called Branded, uh, which had uh, Jeremy and Jason London uh, in the starring roles, Uh, some kind of weird, ugly Western, Um, but there's, no, I'm afraid it just, I thought the trailer was really badly cut as well, yeah. Um, it's got a strange ending to the trailer, which just cuts off and um, no, it just i mean Yeah, I've got a soft spot for Louferino, but it's I'm sorry Lou but yeah, mm-hmm. just, just 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 carry on hanging around the bodybuilding, you know Conventions and that kind of thing and that's way money is don't don't go into this stuff because you, uh, you just look like an idiot Sorry
1: <laughs> I'll give it a shot Anyway, let's move on um, To something which I hope you will get behind And that is Night Shooters Starring Jean-Paul Lee As a member of a small um, film crew Making a really crappy looking uh, zombie movie In a, what, what they think is a deserted building um, And a, sort of inadvertently record a gangland slaying um, And end up sort of under siege by some gangsters Um, I think this looks absolutely superb in fact this is the film of the year that I'm looking forward to seeing very much in the same way that jailbreak was my film from last year that I couldn't wait to see Um, I I just think this is really really smart really really um, clever and in in what it's trying to do
2: yeah this looks really really good When I realised who made this, guy called Mark Price, I didn't realise that his debut movie is now a decade old, which makes me feel really ancient. Mm-hmm. Did, did you ever see Colin? Which one? Colin, the zombie film that was made for £70.
1: Oh, that one, no. Yeah. Um, no, my, my colleague reviewed it for, for my site, but yeah. Yeah, that was yeah. shot on shot on an iPhone or something as well.
2: It was, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But it just looks amazing. I mean, obviously it, it deserves its red band trailer. Mm. As I uh, it, uh it's got some epic swearing in it, which I immediately regretted playing mm. in work with a load of kids around the counter. Especially with with, with a bit of a C bomb in the last uh, yeah. last frame last frame of the trailer. But yeah, it looks fantastic. It looks really uh, packed with film references and, um, yeah, really good. A little bit too long on the trailer. I, I yeah, tried not get, to... I tried not to sort of semi-half watch it. So not to, uh, but, but yeah, it, fantastic. Yeah. Can't wait.
1: Yeah, same here. Okay, moving on uh, to another film called Occupation. Uh, now, this is the sort of the premise we've seen loads of times before. It's an alien invasion movie um, and plucky um, earth beings sort of you know, trying to turn the tide, but this one's set in Australia and actually has a really decent budget behind it. Uh, the special effects work look really, really good. Um, it looks really weird at the beginning because you've got all these people that are sort of Australian rules football match when when the invasion starts. But um, you know, explosions are plenty, lots of you know military hardware going on. I think this could be a decent watch.
2: Yeah, I might have to disagree with you slightly on the um, special effects. There, I didn't think they looked that mega. Hmm. But personally, it's not that important. Um, yeah. Um, but in any case, it just looks like a really cool film. I'm the thing I'm disappointed at is uh, one, I didn't know about this film, and two, uh, the director Luke Spark. His, his previous movie was called um, Red Billabong. Red Billabong. Uh, I've and seen be, uh, that.
1: Have I've you, how just, did you see yeah. it? Um, online. Mm-hmm. Um, did yeah, you? It's it's, right. it's, it's. it's. Yeah. It's. It's pretty decent. About these two it's brothers good. who. Um, I think their dad goes missing and they have to sort of go find them in the in the outback. Um, it's going to be amazing,
2: but I, you know, yeah. it's not on Amazon prime. It's not on them. Um, uh, Shudder or, or, or Netflix mm-hmm. or anywhere. So I'm just hoping, I know it's, two years on. But I hope not that I get some kind of distribution deal over here. But with regard to occupation, yeah, it does look really good. It, again, it's the kind of thing that ticks my boxes, which is mm. a small town invasion. And it's surprising that a sequel has been announced already. So um, it looks like um, it, it, it's done the numbers to yeah. uh, to guarantee a bit of future exploration
1: yeah. in this I mean, I mean, as far as, you know, budgets. I mean, you know, there's special effects, I'm thinking in terms of um, the film Revolt. As, as, oh yeah. The, yeah, You know, that it's, would, it's that sort of standard.
2: That would be perfect. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That would be perfect.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, our last trailer we're looking at today is Siberia, and this is an interesting one um, because when when I first heard about it, it was being um, it was being described as a romantic drama. Um, that's not the vibe I get from the trailer whatsoever. This this seems to be a pretty dark and broody. Uh, thriller where Keanu Reeves tra- travels to Siberia to find out what's happened to his business partner, and uh, he he doesn't in- he does indeed get involved with a woman while he's there, but also with some organised crime guys who are looking for some sort of payoff. Um, yeah, this this looks pretty decent. I think it's going to be a sort of slow burner. This one,
2: yeah, absolutely. Uh, I didn't like the director's last film, which is called Frank and Lola, which is a bit of a, a misfire. Mm. Misfire sort of neo noir with. Um, uh, the guy that looks like Jaws, Michael Shannon. Um,
1: I think it was called Lola over here, wasn't it? I think.
2: Yeah, it just didn't yeah. really do it for me. Um, but this film looks really cool. It just, it did um, confuse me a little bit when I went to IMDb page and I saw Keanu Reeves and Molly Ringwald. I thought it might hmm. be, 1988. I thought it might be nineteen eighty eight, but it, but it's not. Um, <laughs> you know, Molly Ringwald. Come on. Um, but yeah, it, it looks really cool. Uh, to be honest, where, where do we stand on? Keanu in general, where's the where's the consensus?
1: Do we like Keanu? I do actually, I, I, I do yeah. like him. I, ever well, even before Bill and Ted actually, because he was popping up in in roles it, mm. like uh, he, he was in Parenthood. Oh, amazing! Yeah. Um, He's in something else as well. There's oh, a film called Permanent Record, which is probably his first. Starring, I
2: haven't, seen, I haven't seen that. I, I think it first saw in my own private Idaho the, the Gus Van Zandt film, yeah. Which
1: is, I saw that the cinema, yeah.
2: even, even today. I'm not a John Wick fan, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I, I will happily I will happily watch a bit of um, Keanu. I know he's got his detractors, um, but yeah, I, I think he's all right.
1: Same here, yeah. So Siberia looks pretty decent, anyway. It does, and, it does um, yeah, yeah. So hopefully, yeah, more, more sort of brooding thriller, less romance, we hope. But anyway, yes. that is the uh, the coming soon for this week. Okay, today I'm joined by Richard Hawes for once. Yay! Hey. It's been since April, I think. It's the last time you were on the show. Wow. Yeah, quite a while ago. Um, so this has been something we've been looking forward to doing for a while. Um, ever since we saw the trailer for uh, The Mountain 2 also known as um, Brothers in Arms. We finally had a chance to sit down and watch both films. Uh, so these are two Turkish films. Um, first one is called Forgotten Soldiers in the UK and the second one's called Brothers in Arms but really they are The Mountain and Mountain 2 or if you want to in Turkish, it's um, DAG-1 and DAG-2, I guess. So, The Mountain...
0: And, of course, they release them in reverse order as well.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was, yeah, was going to get on to that later on. Um, so, Forgotten Soldiers, a.k.a. The Mountain, uh, is about two young soldiers, um, Orguz and Bakir, who are chosen to take part in a mission to fix a radio transmission tower high up on a mountain. However, when they arrive, they and their squad are ambushed. The tower was deliberately damaged as bait, and the first stage of a full-scale attack on their outpost down below. While the rest of their unit fend off their attackers, Augus and Bakir must survive on the mountain, outnumbered and outgunned, until a rescue can be staged. Now, there's a lot more to this than that, because um, there's a lot of flashbacks to how... These two met, um, not under the best circumstances, they hate each other to begin with, and we get a bit uh, of an idea of um, what it means to be a conscript in the Turkish army. Um, so a bit of background on this, I, I believe this is set somewhere around about Hakari Mountain and they're fighting um, the Kurdistan Workers' Party, the PKK, although it never actually explicitly mentions that in the film, who the bad guys are. Um, but apparently, um, the, you know, the Turkish army has lost something around 700 troops in clashes with the PKK over the years. Um, and the film actually ends with a whole list of um, sort of fallen names, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, massive roll call.
1: Yeah, um, it almost makes it feel like a Peter Berg movie in that respect. Um, but Rich, over to you with your comments. How, how do you find this one? Uh,
0: I, I thought the opening footage of the movie was absolutely spectacular hmm. of the mountains and then there's this really awkward transition to the film itself which is ends up being much lower budget than that original shot indicates so the sound quality and that isn't isn't particularly strong um, it's also it's a very low budget small bunch of people very simple locations hmm. but the movie uh, uses its location as its best asset uh, and so we get not loads of it but a lot of um, decent shots of the of the scenery hmm. it's really about the characters and the structure of the film and the the flashbacks as you say they're integral uh, it's a, it's very much a sort of you go from one scene to a flashback and it's not like a hugely signified flashback i mean you they don't treat you the audience like they're silly or anything they don't say five years ago you know little title yeah. cards coming up or anything it's just you're in one place and then all of a sudden you're in another and in some cases later in uh, in the, i think it's later in the film the timelines become closer and so actually you've got to be a bit more on the ball uh, yeah. to thinking where whereabouts you are so i really like that and i thought mm-hmm. that the, the character introductions and everything were all really good uh, and it's the, the thing the thing that struck me at first, which sort of rubbed me up the wrong way, was that the score was really trying hard to copy *The Dark Knight*, the uh, <laughs> uh, Hans Zimmer and that score from uh, from, yeah. from that film, with the with, and even like the, um, you know how on trailers it always goes, doo- yeah. at a key point, you know they were doing they were doing that bit as well, mm. which was a bit weird. And so the music felt like it was from a bigger film than the one I was watching mm. there was a disconnect they didn't quite the, the music and the film didn't quite gel but mm. the in terms of the overall storyline and that it's a very sort of straightforward romance essentially of, yeah. of how these guys they've met they hate each other you know they're getting on really badly and they're bonded by this uh, this uh, hard going experience mm. so yeah I did like it overall
1: it's um, it's it's funny. I mean, you know, you, you mentioned earlier about the fact that one hundred and one films have released these in the wrong order, mm. um, and and given this one the name Forgotten Soldiers, which is a total non sequitur, basically because they're not forgotten at all. <laughs> you know, they're not even misplaced. They're just, um, you know, have to do their own thing. And I think the, the title of the sequel would fit this one better. You know, if this was actually called Brothers in Arms. I think that would be a much better fit for the for the story we get. Yeah, um, a, a bit more sort of background to this: the whole conscription thing in the Turkish army. Um Every male over the age of twenty, uh, so twenty-one, is is has to serve. Um If you're like a student, like August is, you only have to do like six months. Um, but someone like Bakir. Um, the idea is he's supposed to do twelve months, but of course he's so um, um, unsubordinate, he ends up getting more and more time added to his um, his tour. So he's done about three years by the time we meet him. Um,
0: and they were also making the point that if you're wealthy enough, which um yeah. of course is, he could he could um, buy his way through. You know that yeah. that he wouldn't have to do it basically. And yeah. I'm not sure if that's a corruption thing or a or something that's in place. Yeah, but I don't something... think that's an unusual kind of scenario. I think in no. Poland that was a, a similar sort of thing was happening. Yeah.
1: In in Turkey, apparently this was introduced in about 2013, so it was only a couple of years after this film was made, um, you know, this idea. And, and the amount they had to pay is something like $8,000. Um, to, to, as a sort of one-off payment, so yeah, not everyone's going to have eight thousand dollars sitting in their bank account, but you know, this this guy's from a wealthy background; he could have done it, but he he wanted to do his his time, and you know, he didn't want to cheat, as, as as he looks at it. Um, and then you got Bakir, who's you know, he, he's just like the unsupported one, the wild guy, um, wrong side t- of the tracks, all that, yeah, yeah. and you know, time basically the army eventually catches up with him and, and so sort of, you know he's, he's forced to join but um you know he's the guy who ends up peeling the potatoes and washing the floors and stuff because you know he ends up sort of getting on everyone's wrong side but yeah over time they eventually sort of start liking it well they don't no, they don't it's it's actually on the mission isn't it
0: they yeah. even
1: have a fist fight on the mission while, you know while under fire so which is kind of weird um so, yeah, it's, it's a good, you know, nice sort of um, sort of characterisation between the two. Uh, there's a nice sort of flashback. It was a, kind of a weird flashback in where Bakir goes and sort of tries to chat up this girl. Yeah. Um, and, and you think, is this something that happens a lot where they're going, hey, you know, I'm going in the army in a couple of days. How about a date sort of thing? And it's like, mm, okay. Um, but the well, I thought that itself, was quite
0: good because the, the mm-hmm. first part of the movie really focuses on Augustus. Yeah. And then Bakir starts to get these flashbacks quite late. And it's yeah. like they really, that, that's the way they're sort of um, trying to bring us, bring the characters together. So we're, we're brought in with one character and mm. then we have to get to like the other guy. It's, uh, it's very much we're on, we're on one side of the relationship for the first part of the sure. movie. And then we get to know them uh, mm. as uh, we get to, yeah, we get to know them very well by the end of the movie.
1: There's a there's a quite funny scene where he's getting drunk with a couple of his mates, sort of like the night before he goes or something, and you know they end up sort of singing songs and all this sort of stuff and really sort of letting their hearts out, and it's it's sort of quite touching. It's like yeah, you know it's 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 a weird scene because these sort of macho guys, you know, sort of knocking back the sambuca and perna <laughs> or whatever, and yeah, it's it's funny though. But um, action-wise, I think this handles itself quite well as well. Um, you know, it's it stage is what it does very well. There's, there's a great scene where um, the pair almost get sort of come across when they they come across a group of um, soldiers coming in the opposite direction, and they got to basically sort of bury themselves in the in the snow to try and um, e- you know evade detection. I thought I thought that was quite a decent sort of tense scene.
0: Yeah, we also get it's kind of a situation where they don't characterize the enemy. As you say, they're Mm -hmm. not really, you never really get a a bead on who they are and they, and they don't have any dialogue or anything. It's not like Dunkirk where you don't see them at all, Um, but you do, um, you do, there are a few characters, you see their faces and everything and they get up close and personal, but they don't really have any lines and they don't, you know, exchange any, you know, ideologies or anything. It's, you're very much on the Turkish side of this.
1: Yeah, definitely. Well, and and that's not surprising really, is it? I mean, um, considering sort of where it's coming from. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so overall, uh, what would you score
0: this, Rich? I think, because it's a bit rough around the edges, uh, Um, uh, about six out of ten, I'd say.
1: Yeah, I think that's pretty fair. Um, It's it's very engaging. It's a bit sort of, you know, um, those opening scenes where it just throws you in the thick of it yeah. and, and a lot you get a lot of dialogue over the radio and that sort of thing And of course you have no idea really what's going on um, but you have to sort of pick it up as you go there's some really nice photography there's, there's a scene early on where they where August basically has to jump off the side of the mountain to avoid being shot and it slows it right down so you get this sort of really nice sort of super slow motion shot of him sort of jumping off the side of the cliff which is really really good um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's engaging all the way through. You know, it's, it is small scale. Apparently, they only had something like a crew of about five people um, mm-hmm. during this uh, filmed in quite adverse conditions up on the mountain at the temperature dropped to something like minus 15 at times. Well, yeah, I mean, it must
0: have been pretty tough. Yeah. There's a few interior scenes, but a lot of it is outdoors on location.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah, and I think they do a great job. You know, in, in, in that regard so yeah so this is um forgotten soldiers aka the mountain aka dag and we're giving it a six out of 10
0: this now, is another uh, i just want to say yeah. very briefly that this is an example where the cover of the movie with the soldier looking away from the from from mm. you know looking in the other one looking away from us is actually apt because there is a scene in the movie that is yeah. that moment
1: it, it is actually that moment <laughs> Yeah. yeah. My, my, minus the um, the other cast members and minus yeah. the helicopter and minus the airplane and, and the explosions. Yes. But, yeah. you know, in principle, it's exactly <laughs> that picture. Yeah. Um, yeah. They do manage to capture that image quite well. Um, but yeah, very good. So we're going to move, move straight on to Brothers in Arms, also known as the Mountain 2. This is a much bigger film and follows on a little bit of a spoiler uh, because we're still following our friends Ugguz and Bakir. So obviously they survive whatever happens to them in um, um, Forgotten Soldiers. So in this one, um, because they were sort of rescued by a member of the Special Forces, the Maroon Berets, um, they feel they have a bit of a sort of debt to repay. Um, So they've decided to sign up with the, um, the Maroon Berets has a bit of um, resistance from their commanding officer at first, mainly because Bakir got shot in the leg in the previous one, um, so he's got a bit of a limp. But they overcome these sort of difficulties and um, the special forces training lasts for something like three and a half years before they're ready to go on a mission. So we pick up when um, they are chosen to go and rescue a Turkish uh, female reporter who has been captured by ISIS and is about to be executed Um, and it follows that rescue and the attempt to escape uh, in the meantime, we get flashbacks to their sort of grueling training and some more sort of camaraderie between August and Bakir. So, Rich, um, I-, I thought this was um, definitely sort of bigger and better, as um, sequels hopefully tend to be. How did you find this?
0: Well, if 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 the mountain was Wolf Warrior, this is Wolf Warrior two, definitely, because this is like this. The you know the first film was quite rough around the edges. This one's had a massive budget injection. Hmm. We've got the we've got tanks, planes, helicopters. You know, literally uh, the real deal as well. Hmm. In a lot of cases, it's not um, just all CGI stuff. We've got uh, paint. You know, more because the first film's quite patriotic. We've got a lot of flag waving kind of stuff in here. <laughs> you know, this is the this is the guy taking what the first film was and making hmm. it more like a not quite michael bay but you know going in that sort of direction sure, and, definitely. and we and we get the same like say, we get the returning characters but it's more than that it's very much a uh, a men on a mission movie as a team
3: yeah. so
0: we get uh, a hot there's like a whole bunch of the characters and really uh, august and bakir a lot of times end up sort of sidelined really hmm. the one of the main characters that comes out of it is the commanding officer Yeah. Uh, And in the first film, the commanding officer has a few scenes, but we we don't spend a huge amount of time with him. But he's a very significant character. I think Mm -hmm. what they learned from the first film was that people really engaged with that character and they decided to add him to the had a new a new commanding officer to the mix. Mm -hmm. that they could that we could then sort of connect with more. So we get flashbacks of him as well uh, that develop his character. And he he sort of seals the movie really for me and yeah. the, the the thing that sort of let the film down compared to the first one because the first one feels quite unique hmm. uh, is that the second one is is very generic it's uh it's your standard special forces there's a there's a female reporter who they save who gets embedded with them and the uh and they end up uh, defending a small town you know you hmm. could you could find a dozen movies i mean i can think of uh, the expendables 2 And uh, specifically, um, Forces Spécialis, or or Forces Special, Special Forces, the French film with uh, with Diane um, Kruger and Jimon Honsu Jimon Honsu. That this reminded me of that a lot.
1: Well, Uh, funny enough. Funny enough, yesterday I, I managed to watch Operation Red Sea, the new Dante Land film. And again, oh, yeah. it's, exactly, it's exactly this, you know, um, sent on a mission. Um, well, it's sort of between this and Wolf Warrior 2, you know, where they have to rescue um, sort of Chinese nationals from a civil war. Yeah. But there's also the female reporter and also, you know, sort of having to sort of escape and all the rest of it. Um, so it's, it's obviously a story that resonates and plays very well you know uh, these sort of tropes so yeah
0: And <laughs> so that was sort of my only quibble with it i mean it's very you know very well executed the film looks mm. really good it's the same director but say they've got a massive budget so you got lots more aerial photography there's not the snowy mountains this time it's a much more arid landscape mm. so a, a different area they still refer to the mountain but you don't actually really see any mountains as far as i'm aware i think i'm not sure if it's even more of a code name this time i didn't quite get that but the um yeah the flashback the the format is the same so we've got the same we have got a couple of the same characters but the canvas is broadened yeah I'd say very wolf warrior 2 like in its um sort of patriotism and flag waving which is i don't i don't know if that's an intentional thing mm-hmm. or just one of those things but yeah because they wear the berets and everything i was thinking of expendables and I tell you, the other film that I remind it reminded me of, hmm. it, it, and this is a way it could have gone, is uh, Sniper: Special Ops with Steven Seagal. <laughs> now, imagine if <laughs> imagine if Steven Seagal and the other guy were yeah. Bakir and August, yeah. and they were trapped having these conversations or whatever, a bit like in the first film, but hmm. with the second, with the story with the other you, un- with the rest of the unit, yeah. and the female reporter thing happening as well. It's almost yeah. like. This the two films together are the film that Sniper Special Ops should have been <laughs> if they'd have done it properly.
1: If they'd done it properly and had yeah. um, Sigal get off his ass and actually walk around a bit more. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So. <laughs> uh, it's yeah um, yeah I, I really like this and you know when they one of the things I like is it actually does show their sort of tactics and actually their sort of, you know the fact they're actually sort of decent soldiers, whereas the first film it was more. You know, a very sort of scrappy sort of fighting sort of thing. You know, this is shot of shows them working as a unit. Um, there's a bit where they sort of come to the rescue of some um, sort of Turkish Kurds. And, you know, it, it actually reminded me a bit of um, Tears of the Sun mm-hmm. in that thing. Yeah. Cause, you know, because basically they sort of, you know, just charge in a line, sort of laying down like a wall of bullets, basically. Um, you know it's 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 really really cool to watch and then the you know the final 20 minutes when they end up sort of embedding in this village you know that is just absolutely brilliant uh, um, uh, you know um, having to defend this sort of village from this onslaught of people it, you get all the tropes you get the sniper you get you know so sort of the woman having to sort of join in all this sort of stuff—it's—it's um, it's really, really strong, you know. And the patriotism, as you say, I mean, not only do they flag—you know—they're waving the flag, or you know, they put the Turkish flag up on the um, the church tower or something. Yeah. But you know, you get shots of it sort of riddled with bullets as well, you know. Yeah. I mean <laughs> If you're a Turkish, very symbolic. A, yeah. Oh god, yeah, you'd have a tear in your eye, I'm sure. Um, so yeah, the, you know, the the action is really, really solid in this film. I really, really did like it um and it did sort of you know give it give the film a really good climax
0: well the soldiers have they've also evolved because as you as you say they're in they're in special forces unit now yeah. so it's a completely different ball game and they do they don't tell you straight away but several years have gone by as you say yeah. they went through like three three plus years of training so the canvas for the flashbacks is much broader as well so you, you're going from the end of the last film to several years later by the end of by the time you, you're done, so that's a lot, hell of a lot of ground to cover, and so the the salt they're much more efficient soldiers, and and they've known each other for you know a significantly longer time.
1: Yeah. Um, also, the the actual actors in this had to endure some like three to five months special forces training as well. You mm-hmm. know, in, in in getting prepared for the role, um, and there's, there's one bit I really liked uh, when you get a flashback. One of the things they had to do was. Um, they to sort of jump off a cliff into a lake, uh, while blindfolded with their hands tied behind their back. You know, it was, it, and it's a huge drop as well. They have to. Yeah.
0: That was. That was a yeah. Because really I remember cool. seeing that and thinking, Jesus, that's like that's really dangerous. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. Even if it was a stunt, you know, even if it was stuntmen, it would be yeah. a dangerous stunt to do. But um, yeah, no. So hats off to them. Um, yeah. So the marine, yeah, the marine Burrows, They're a real unit. I mean, the. Um, I think within the film, the the unit is called Stormbringer or something like that.
0: Um, I think so. Although I wasn't sure if that yeah. was just a code name or something. Yeah, it's a
1: code name for their particularly, you know, this particular oh, like, unit within. So they're within like the, the um, Light Wolf Warrior, basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's that. Have you? Uh, did you get a chance to look at IMDb uh, the reviews for this?
0: No, although I was very curious to check them out because the thing that the, the, the cover promotes is the most highly rated IMDb movie yeah. all, of all time or something like I'm that, one, or one of them. Certainly yeah. one
1: of them. It has a, a 9.5 rating and it's got 96,000 um, votes. Wow.
0: Um,
1: but the, the votes go from 10 out of 10 or 1 out of 10. So you get like all the Turkish guys going on and going, this is film is brilliant the best acting and everything." but all the one out of 10 are American guys basically criticizing the fact that you know Turkish guys are giving it 10 out of 10 they're not actually sort of really rating the movie or, mm-hmm. or they're really skewing it you know they're just sort of going, "Oh you know this, this film isn't worth 10 out of 10 it's obviously a fixed by Turkish guys or something yeah. you know so I'm giving it one out of 10 as a result Mm
3: -hmm. so
1: so you know you just get in this sort of um very sort of schizophrenic um voting systems very little in between
0: but what would you give it i would give it a seven out of ten i think it's much more polished than the first one but i wouldn't necessarily i'm borderline eight but Mm. i I don't necessarily want to rush to revisit it purely because it wasn't not a it wasn't unique enough. I think If mm-hmm. it had a little bit more that was different about it that I hadn't felt like I'd seen before. I would probably want to revisit it again. So seven sure. out of ten.
1: I think of all the films like this that I've seen, I'd, I'd put Special Forces just below this. I think I think this is sort of a bit more. Um, you know, it handles the the backstory and everything a lot better. Special uh, so
0: Forces has those really annoying. Fade to blacks or fade to whites happening throughout the whole movie, which really ruined it for me. (laughs)
1: Yeah.
0: Um, This doesn't do that.
1: (laughs) No, but I'd put this underneath uh, Wolf Warrior Two because that is just so enjoyable, and Wolf Warrior Two is probably a step below um, Operation Red Sea because that is just phenomenal. Really? Wow. Really? Uh, Yeah. Seriously, (laughs) it's uh, it's. two hours 10 minutes long and you'll be just like riveted to your seat for that period it is and for 70 million dollars as well it's ridiculous
0: this film did this film was a similar length because the Mm. first film is very short it's about an hour and 20 minutes and this one's like 50 minutes longer Uh, i did feel it was a bit too long i I could have done with it being a bit shorter not just because Mm. i was trying to watch it really late at night and i was starting to fall asleep (laughs) like really trying to stay awake and finish the movie but uh, i just think you know Especially, i having watched Transformers that this week. Like some films, just are, <laughs> some films are just too long. They just don't mm. need to be that long. They just need to st- st- trim it down a bit. But um, yeah, I think you know, I'd highly. Uh, this is now uh, Forbidden Soldiers is difficult, fairly difficult to get hold of, but Brothers in Arms is. Um, it's only on Sky Cinema. Um, Got Soldiers, think. yeah. Yes. That was what, I. I managed to catch it on Sky Cinema. So, yeah.
3: uh,
0: a, a sort of an interesting acquisition for them. I wouldn't have thought necessarily this would have turned up on there. But uh, I think hopefully that will open up to a broader audience. And, you know, we haven't really had any Turkish movies released in the UK yeah. and uh, Turkish action movies, I should say, sure. until now. So um, it's definitely a step in the right direction. I'm hoping to see more.
1: So, I mean, we, we mentioned earlier, 101 Films released both of these films, um, but in the wrong order. It's is, is mm. very bizarre. Um, can you decipher why they might have done it that way?
0: I think they probably just didn't... Maybe they didn't realise or so I don't know, because the first one is... The first one on the cover, it's got an IM... It, it has a quote, and it's like, yeah. how cheesy is this? It's a, It's got a, a... I can't remember what it's like. Visually striking film, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. IMDb, Re, IMDB reviewer.
3: Yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's like, that's worse than Sunday Sport. Uh, geez, you know, just, yeah. but, or, or just some made-up uh, uh, thing. But you know the the second one has got this big tagline of the again the imdb thing really pushing it but yeah i think they just didn't really necessarily know what they were dealing with or perhaps they just you know didn't really care i don't know but i think it's when if you if you're watching if you're tuning in on sky for example to this film that's oh brothers in arms let's have a look at it and you don't necessarily know it's a sequel you will find you will find out it's a sequel when the title comes up because brothers in arms comes up but on on a subtitle comes up that says The Mountain 2. Right. So, and it, it's also clear from some of the interplay between the characters and the flashback scenes that mm. oh, aren't we supposed to know these guys already kind of situation. Yeah. So it does help, although I think once you get past that point, you don't need to have seen the original.
1: That's right. I, I, I agree. Um, after, you know, the, there is a little bit of interplay, obviously, between August and, and Bakir. But they—they are the only two, rec- well, really, you know, main recurring characters. Yeah. So, you know, and and the flashbacks in the film are more to do with, you know, their special forces training. Yes. Um. So, so you don't necessarily need to have seen them in that order, but it, I, you know, it does help I think, to sort of give a bit more sort of context as why they might decide to sort of join the special forces. Um. But yeah, unfortunately, the um you know these are very the forgotten soldiers release is bargain basement um, there is nothing on the disc at all uh, apart from the film um, but it is in stereo it has got english subtitles and they're quite decent and widescreen um, and it's in widescreen yes so but other than that you know you get nothing for your money apart from the film
0: i think the ratio changed on um, the mountains too as well it seemed wider screen yeah. did, you, did, you, did you get yeah. that
1: I didn't notice because unfortunately I, I saw the mountain too probably about a month and a half ago.
0: Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> so I'm going going from memory. I was literally uh, just
0: watching them last night. So I think yeah. I think when I was watching it the the, the, the canvas certainly mm. seemed broader, mm. so I think they did yeah. might maybe widened it a bit. And on Sky they are showing it properly, which again, this is another thing I'll mention. Uh, on on Sky it is properly presented in its full widescreen. Unlike uh, Transformers, Transformers film I watched the other day, where Sky Sky was showing this version where the, it goes like full screen, widescreen, full screen, widescreen, just just keeps changing all the time. It's just, I, I, I really don't know. Mm. I've never known them to do that. Usually yeah. they will present the film these days in its proper format. So thankfully that's the case with this because I wouldn't like to, you know, the canvas is too good to mm. put it into that sort of pan and scan kind of uh, compromised aspect ratio as i generally referred to it. So the film looks great, uh, high quality production values, any of the sound and stuff issues from the first film were all fixed. Well worth mm-hmm. checking out.
1: Absolutely. Now, also on um, IMDb, um, this is directed by a guy called Alper Kagler, who, who did both films. And uh, according to IMDb, um, he's writing The Mountain 3, but it's not due out till 2023. <laughs> According to IMDb, he's got a couple of other films in in the pipeline. Before that, ah, I see. But um, yeah, they, they are looking to continue with the series, and, and that's not you know, surprising. Yeah, not surprising. Um, this was a huge hit for them, for um, Turkey. So yeah, um, and what did we score it? We we both gave it a seven, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. So seven, So six for uh, Forgotten Soldiers, and sevens for um, Brothers in Arms. Check it out on Sky Cinema, or you might be able to find a copy on Amazon. So, yeah, that's that. Our next review is Sequence Break. In this one, Oz is an electronics engineer working in a video game repair shop and he receives a mysterious motherboard in a plain package one day. Plugging it into one of the arcade cabinets he's working on, he finds himself immersing into a new challenging video game. However, playing the game affects Oz's mind and his perception of what is real. Uh, Dave, this um, is turned up on Shudder this week, Um, a a good fit for for this particular film I think. Uh, It reminds me of a couple of films, but this is sort of a textbook example of how to make a atmospheric film with only a green and red light bulb available.
3: (laughs)
2: Yeah, pretty much. Um, I watched it on Shudder, excuse me. I watched it on Shudder, um, even though I had the DVD Hmm. uh, in my hand, because of course Shudder is HD. And with no Blu-ray release in the UK, I thought, well, you know, let's, let's upscale here. Let's not settle for mediocrity with with DVD. <laughs> um, But yeah, yeah. With, with the red and green light bulb thing, I really like that because one of the things I've noticed in low budget films is red and green. Jesus, it's it's like the it's like the, the lighting effect de jour. Everyone uses it, but here I, I think Graham Skipper has really um, I wouldn't say he's reinvented the light bulb, but. <laughs> <laughs> um, he has it is, done something yeah. really cool with it, which which gives it a whole new dimension. I mean, I, I like the film in general. I, I think
3: mm. uh,
2: Film School Rejects, uh, I think, called it a... <clears throat> let me put my teeth into this one. A biomechanical Cronenbergian sexta piece. And I think that pretty much nails it, to be honest. Um,
1: the thing is, though, when we're talking about... When, when things get labelled Cronenbergian, basically we're talking mm. about Videodrome and, to a certain extent, Existence. And and that's really it. Yeah, that's, that's you know that, that's what we're sort of focusing on, um, very much for this one. And it's the whole thing with um, you know James Woods, sort of inserting a uh, a videotape into his torso. That's uh, you know yeah. this is this is what sort of people are sort of riffing on.
2: Yeah, but you you do see the film get labelled with that. But when the director says, and I quote, Videodrome was the most direct influence," then I think it's almost
1: no, absolutely, yeah,
3: it's, it's going to happen, that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: But it's just that everyone labels Cronen- you know, stuff Cronenberg. in mm. you know, really, they're just kind of this thing. It's the same when people talk about Lovecraft. You know, it's like, oh, it's Lovecraft. Mm. And, uh, yeah, you got a couple of tentacles in there is, is basically what you're trying mm. to tell us. But anyway, I, I digress, Dave. <laughs> no,
2: no, no. I, no I, I would expand that. I would expand that beyond Videodrome and sense. Mm. I would say that Cronenberg's whole sort of body horror milieu Oh, good cool. word. Um, sort of does fall into that Cronenberg, you know. You you wouldn't say it's Cronenbergian and, and sort of expect a dangerous method kind of film, yeah. and you wouldn't say Cronenbergian expect spider or a history of violence and stuff like that. Okay. I think you would say Cronenberg. Yeah, but you you are you are completely mm. right in that you say that word, and I, I hate think I hate things like lynching and, mm. and stuff like that yeah. because it does drive me a little bit insane. But I think it is it's almost necess- it's necessary when the director himself comes out and says, I'm a big fan of him and that's the film I want it to sort of be for like. But mm-hmm. then again, I, I like Graham Skipper in, in general. When I was doing my research for the film, I spotted a really cool quote, and I'm going to go off a wild tangent. But mm-hmm. I'm going to make it brief. I'm going to make it really, really brief. Because Skipper says, one of my really real bugbears about um, horror people, of people like horror movies at the moment, is there a, there's a group of people I say people it's always men and they're normally um no offense over 40 um up to say around about 55 and they say they don't make good films anymore I don't watch anything that comes out now I only watch the stuff that the classic stuff um and I hate that because I find that such a blinker thing and I just I just fell in love with Skipper even more when he said um that people say this is direct from Skipper. People say there hasn't been a good movie made since 1986. Bullshit. You're limiting yourself from what could be a much more fulfilling cinematic experience. Um, he's saying that. He's talking about nostalgia in that respect. Because obviously his film, the first question that people ask him with his film is, it's so nostalgic. It's so David cronenberg and it's so this and it's so that. And Yeah, it is. But it's also made today. And it does have its own unique spin Um, yeah I did like it Um, what did I like about it I liked the relationship between Oz and Tess that was kind of the key thing even though you've got these wild practical effects going on I think their friendship stroke relationship kind of comes to the fore and does make itself the centrepiece of the film Um, it's certainly the most satisfying aspect of the film um uh, Skipper said he wanted to kind of make it a little bit like Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis in The Fly which was very Cronenbergian of him <laughs> I think I might make a record <laughs> for saying Cronenbergian um, but yeah, uh, overall this really cool imagery there's one scene in particular with a skull just melting which I thought was fantastic was the majority, good. yeah, the majority of which it is it is practical effects which is commendable on such a low budget um I would say it's more existence for video drone, almost. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it was cool. I, I, I liked this. A bit. Even though it's, it's largely a two piece movie, a two hander movie, I did like the mm-hmm. characters like that wild haired, mysterious character just known as the man. I don't yeah. think it's as a name, just referred to as the man. Um, but yeah, in, in general, uh, you see, it's a perfect length. I think it's about 78 minutes. Um, uh, but I wanted, I liked it a great deal and I would champion it and I would shout all about it and I'll give it a good score. But I f- do find that it was one of those films that I wanted to like it more than I actually did. And I feel that I should, I feel like I should have liked it more than I did. Um, so that's not to say it's some kind of misfire. It's not to say it's some kind of, uh, disaster. I mean it's a good, good film. But I just feel as though certainly looking at the, the press that it got and some of the people just like completely, you know, came in their pants over it, I just mm-hmm. feel as though it just didn't quite hit that barrier for me, but I, I think it will be one of those films I'll I'll revisit from time to time and gradually fall more and more in love with as the years go by.
1: Yeah, it's definitely um it is it is kind of a niche film i think mm-hmm. and it has, it does have that sort of um that nostalgia fa- factor not only is uh, oz you know he's working on these um, video cabinet you know, in the video game cabinets you know from from old arcade games um so you got that sort of aspect. I mean, I, I noticed they're quite careful not to actually show any of the video games yeah, yeah. in play, probably because of the sort of licensing that went with it. Um, did you did you actually figure out the rules of the game that he was uh, he was playing? No, That was an no. ultra confusing um, thing. But I think that's kind of the point, isn't it? As um, yeah, yeah. You know, those thing's affecting his brain. I, I did like the um, you know the route it went down. It kind of reminded me of. Um, um, what's that one we saw? The the, the alien slime movie. Oh, bio slime. Bio slime. It had a little of element of that going for it mm. as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but the characterization between the I mean, it is literally a two hander mm. you know, uh, for for a lot of the a lot of it. Um, and yeah, you're absolutely right. The the relationship between Tess and Oz um, really makes the film work because you know you ha- you have to believe that these two people are on the same wavelength. And, you know can riff off each other the way they do um, you know it's, it's probably the most alive that Oz has been for a long time mm. you know, like when we first see him you know he barely even recognized you know he reg- her presence doesn't even register with him he, he's sort of no. so focused on fixing this uh, circuit board um, you know and she has to make the first move which is um, all interesting um, yeah, but I, I, the ending—you know—the way the, where it sort of builds to—it reminded me of sort of the um, sort of one of the sequences from the Neon Demon, actually. Uh, it had a lot of, in common with that. Believe it or not, the um, yeah, this the soundtrack was done by a guy called Van Hughes, and I thought it was, mm. it was, it was a really good, um, you know, sort of eighty-style sort of synth score. Oh. I say 80s style but in reality you know, the 80s probably had Tangerine Dream doing a couple of soundtracks um maybe, maybe Vangelis and that was it, you know, that was that was it as far as sort of synth scores go. Um, I, 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 I think it is... Again,
3: yeah.
1: I think, yeah, it's John Carpenter, okay, I'll give you that. Um, but it is, uh, you know, you could count them on one hand, but everyone's, that's what everyone remembers, you know, oh yeah, the synth scores and all that sort of stuff, but no, it didn't really happen. Anyway... <laughs> Um, we won't you talk too much
2: naysayer. about you say destroying, <laughs> destroying people's imaginary uh, <laughs> things
1: I know um, how are we going to score this one?
2: I'm going to score, yeah. I'm going to give it a 7 uh, I'd like to give it an 8 but I'm going to stick with a 7 but hopefully you can ask me this time next year and it will have bumped it up because I think it's, it's one of those films that I want to keep and, and cradle and um, you know Feed it well, and it mm. will. Uh, it will be one that I'll wonder. It must have come out on Blu-ray in America. I mean have to import that one. But yeah, mm. I'm just. i just. I'm just niggly. I mean, Matchbox released really still here, which which I love, but it's just a bit of a bland. Uh, mm. I mean, when when you look at Skippers other the Films, I know it's his directorial debut. Um, when you look at his other films that sort of fit in this oeuvre, you've got so, stuff like you know Almost Human and um, The Mind's Eye. I- and and uh, beyond the um, beyond the gates, um, yeah, which, which also sort of fit in. The, but but they're sort of stacked editions. And one of the uh, fallbacks with the UK release of this, and obviously the, the limitations with with Shudder, is that I want to learn a bit more about the film, and I'm prevented from doing so. So hopefully, I can import a, an edition that's that's worth keeping.
1: Absolutely. Now, the um, the cinematographer on this is a guy called Brian Sowell, uh, mm. who also did uh, Beyond the Gates. Um, no. and, and, you know, I, I hope I didn't sound too disingenuous when I said, oh, you know, basically this film has you know a red and a green light bulb and that's it but i mean they they are used to amazing effects. Oh. is what i was trying to say yeah really? you know, um they they really are um mm. the, the 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 imagery in this film is absolutely great yes. um i'm just going to sort of segue a little bit because you mentioned the mind's eye yes um Which I mean, you mentioned almost human. Almost human is is a damn good film as well. Mm -hmm. But the mind's eye. It's um, and we talk about (laughs) Cronenberg (laughs) in. This is very much a riff on the film Scanners, um, yes, but, yeah. but done, but, but actually done to much better effect. So Scanners mm. is actually a very boring film at times, and you know it hinges <laughs> on that one scene with the head exploding. Mm. But but this is a solid solid film if you get the chance to find it, and I do believe it's on Shudder. I'm not sure. Oh,
2: and I, I know it's on the UK DVD with the awful awful title of Supernatural Forces.
3: Jesus uh,
2: So if, if you want to what you're going to buy it, it's because it's cheap, but just don't look for the mind's eye of for Supernatural Forces and then spit mm. in the direction of, I forget who retitled it, it's like 101 or something. But yeah, um, mm. oh, it's definitely a recommendation, isn't it? Brilliant film.
1: Uh, yeah, it's absolutely superb. Um, I'm going to join you on a seven for mm. um for sequence break, I, I actually I've watched it twice in the same week, oh, so okay. which is which is very unusual, you know. Mm. Um, but yeah, so yeah, seven's all round for sequence break. You can either get it on Shudder if you're a member of Shudder, or you can wait a little bit and it'll turn up on DVD shortly Our final review this week is Black Butterfly. Antonio Banderas stars as Paul, a reclusive, washed-up writer who lives in a secluded cabin on the outskirts of Denver, where he can nurse his writer's block and fuel his ongoing alcoholism. When he gets caught up in an altercation with a truck driver and a diner, a young drifter called Jack comes to his rescue, and out of gratitude, Paul offers Jack a room for the night. Instead, Jack ends up staying For a few days, helping around with repairs and cooking in exchange for his stay. However, things start to get a bit weird when small details about Jack's behaviour start to bother Paul, and soon he finds himself captive within his own home. Now, we took a look at the trailer of this a few months ago, Mm. and... You know, and your interest in Jonathan rees Mayer as an actor um, sort of piqued your interest when we, we mentioned it on um, the um, the Washing Up last week so it was a natural choice um, I wasn't expecting this to be as good as it was though
2: mm. Weren't um, you? No I <laughs> Yeah, I'd I Um No, I think I probably agree with you there to be honest Mike um, I expected I don't know what I expected to be. I didn't see the trailer as I as I
3: hmm.
2: as I, I, uh, I tend not to. I mean, I, I will ask you shortly if the trailer spoils anything. But the first thing I wanted to mention is is where you stand on the subject of twists, um, yeah. because it, it's it's been my principle whenever I've written a review. Hmm. If, there's, if there's a twist in a film, and I know I'm breaking it right now, if there's a twist in a film, I do not mention it because I find that if someone reviews a film and they say, ah, oh, but, but wait until the twist and see if you mm-hmm. can guess, or that, then I just find it's a distraction. And, and it alters the way I watch the film because I'm thinking, right, now, well, maybe he isn't who he said he is or maybe uh, maybe that was it, maybe that was it. And then if there's no real massive you know, mic drop of a twist then I'm kind of a bit disappointed. So I don't tend to mention it. So, mm-hmm. But this thing, I mean, if you look at the US poster artwork for this film, the tagline, the tagline is a killer story, dot, 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 with a twist. That's oh. the tagline. You know, it's not even a press quote. And I just thought, mm. oh. um So obviously, I mean, I've spoke to film enough, but uh, there is a twist in the film. Um, but I just, I don't know what your perspective is on this. Do you think that a guy reviewing a film should say, there is a twist here, look out for it, or do you think it should yeah. purposefully be avoided?
1: I, I try to avoid them, especially in my written reviews. I, I will discuss, you know, scenes from the early part of the film in, mm. to a certain degree, and then I'll sort of yeah. just allude to stuff that happens later on, um, or, or just, you know, purposely leave details out to be discovered by whoever's watching the film. Um, yeah,
2: yeah, so that's about the same as me. I, I might, I might the, the furthest extent I'll go to is, say, you know... Um, Maybe it's a slow film. I'll say, but just make sure you hang in there to the end because it'll be very Mm. much worth your time. Anyway, I digress. Um, It's had an interesting gestation, this film, in the way that, well, one, it's a remake uh, of a French film called... Really? Is that what it's called? Um, (laughs) Something Noir. Something Noir. Ah,
1: Papillon Noir. Of course, because Papillon is butterfly. yeah.
2: Exactly, made in 2008, which starred mm. the the classic and the, the, the impeccable French actor, um, Eric Cantona. Um,
1: ah, now you say that, but he's he's not too bad as an actor. No,
2: he is very good, to be honest, I do like him. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's based on a, on a French film from 2008. The, the project was first announced that it was going to be made in October 2011. Um, Brian Goodman was still attached to the film; he was attached since day one. But Nick Cage uh, was originally um, looked at to be the lead. Uh, I don't know which role—I don't know which he would have taken. I'm thinking, I'm thinking would have taken Banderas' character. Um, but in any case, I'm, I'm glad that didn't pan out. Even though I do love Nick Cage more than life itself. Mm-hmm. Um, you got two writers on the film. Um, Jonathan Bruce Myers said in an interview that. It was actually Mark Friedman who um, who produced it and, and did a, a later draft of the script. But right. one of the early drafts, one of the early drafts, seems to be um, written by a guy called Justin Stanley,
3: yeah, who's yeah.
2: He's a British guy with a fascinating career. He, he first began um, uh, as a 19-year-old production assistant on uh, Dwayne Whitaker's uh, cool indie movie, um, Eddie Presley. I don't know if you ever saw right. that, Mike. No. Great film. It, it directed by Jeff Burr from, I uh, was that 1990? Blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah, Quentin Tarantino and, um, Bruce Campbell had cameos in it. It's, it's a really cool movie. Mm-hmm. I think to get a British release, it's worth checking out. He also, uh, Justin Stanley also scripted the very cool, um, Men in Black riff, uh, called The Shadow Men that was out in yeah. 1987 with Eric Roberts. Um, but yeah, so Brian Goodman did end up directing it, even though he, with him being attached um, from day one, yeah, mainly known as an actor uh, Brian, could he acts yeah. in this film as well, he plays the truck driver um, I did like this, like the last film, the uh, sequence break that we reviewed, it is another two-hander with, with Rhys-Myers and um, Banderas taking up much of the screen time, it's an interesting one um, it's certainly an Antonio Banderas renaissance, because you know since 2011, uh, and maybe the skin I live in I hadn't mm-hmm. seen him in a good film in probably six or seven years, but but since security, every one of his films has got some interesting factor with it. And, you mm-hmm. know, to me, to me, obviously, the most interesting factor of this is Jonathan Reese Myers, who had a fantastic start of his career with Velvet Goldmine and, and stuff like B, B Monkey and uh, The Maker mm-hmm. with, with Matthew Modine, but just didn't really pan out into a career that I would have expected. I think he got the gig and the, and the Tudors and, and then mm-hmm. Vikings, which just mm-hmm. isn't. Of tea, so uh, I thought he would have been more of a box office drawer. Um But yeah, this film is pretty much dependent on how these two characters interact with each other. Um, it's a perfect length. I do yeah. think I do think the ending. Uh, the ending is a real schizophrenic thing for me. Obviously, we've said this twist, mm. but on on one angle, there is one twist that is just. Ah, oh, just Perfect. impeccable, impeccable yeah. genius. Yeah. But then there's a second twist that just falls flat. Yeah,
1: that's, just it's, really this It's the flat. final scene that ah, oh, unnecessary, just, isn't it? If they
2: just took that out, it would be such an amazing film. And that's the one thing that really um, did frustrate me, to be honest. Um, mm. I, I call it Wild Things. itis I don't know if you remember the the, the yeah, great film yeah, Wild yeah. Things, which almost. Um, uh, jokingly, had twist after twist after twist, and um, you know, with something in shake, and that, that kind of work. But this, yeah, it just uh, goes a little bit too far with that. I know, I know, Alan um, to the Press has sort of called this film, um, you know, Stephen King's greatest hits. And um, I don't know, I think that's a bit too harsh. I
1: think, yeah, yeah I, I think that's harsh. That's, uh, yeah. Right. That's, that, that's the review of somebody who wasn't paying attention to the film and had it on in the yeah, background. Yeah. But you, you liked it a lot, Mike. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I watched this with my wife um, yesterday, actually, mm. and we we ordered it off Xbox to, to, oh, to yeah. watch, and that was a good transfer. Mm. And um, yeah, no, I I just thought it was really good because you know going into it, I mean, even though I'd seen the trailer, the trailer doesn't give a lot away. No, you know, um, really. Uh, we we should mention that Piper Perabo is in this as well. Oh, of course, yeah. Um, you know, who plays? the real estate agent trying to sell the house for Antony Banderas. Um, and they have a sort of interesting relationship as well. Uh, and obviously she gets sort of stuck in the middle of things. Um, mm. But it, but the film itself, I mean, it is, it is very different. This The story is very different to the sort of thing we, we tend to get these days. Mm. Mm. You know, and it's quite meta as well. Um, mm. There's a really good conversation that the two characters have. About the sort of the, the, the art of writing a story and things like that, and he's sort of yeah. spinning it out. And it it's almost, you know, what, what you're talking about almost comes to fruition, you mm. know. And there's a couple of details in there he th- throws in, but then there's, um, you yeah, know, there's a classic sort of retort that um Antonio Banderas' character g- gives back, which sort of like, at the time, it doesn't register. But it's like, no. oh, okay, right, it all <laughs> falls into place. But yeah, I mean, you know, to a certain degree, that twist, part of it, I'd, I I saw coming. But did you? I I did. I must admit, I, I'd seen, mm. but the other side of it, you know, mm. it was one thing to think that you know about one character, but um, the other side of it, I didn't see coming at all. And, mm. and when you see mm. that character transformed, is all I'll say. Yeah. And, you know. Yeah, in, yeah. Uh, um, it was actually a real shock, and I was like.
3: Oh fuck,
1: <laughs> it's really mm. cool. Well, um, yeah, I, I, this is one of those films that'd be great. You know, it's having seen it, it'd be great to sort of sit down with other people to watch just to see their reactions yes. and how ha- you know see them trying to second guess what's That's happening true. and things like that. Um, yeah, no, it's it's really really solid. I am not surprised it's a remake in, in some ways, um, mm. but it's it's totally solid. It's one of those films. It's, it's the sort of the prestige end of the. CTV market basically, mm. um, and, and Antonio Banderas. I mean, I've in in this year alone, I've seen him in about five different films. I think, mm.
3: Well,
1: mm. Uh, and and each time he's giving a completely different performance. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's not it's not the same thing you could say to Bruce Willis or Vin Diesel or anyone like that. You know, mm. um, Stallone even. Mm. You know, he, he 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 spins a different character out of each one.
3: Yeah, which
1: yeah. is which is really really cool, and yeah, I, I just I just really really like this. I thought it was really cool. Um, yeah, I, I won't say too much more about what happens. You know, um, there there is a great scene where we get the flashbacks to fill in the gaps, mm-hmm. um, which which again I thought was really cool. Um, you know, um, but but yeah, no, it's it's just really really well done. Definitely worth ca- um, catching up with. Yeah. School's on the doors, Dave.
2: Yeah, I just think it's a kind of thriller that's been absent from DTV for, for too long, really. We, we just don't get enough of these. Um, and it's not expensive. It, uh, I think it probably cost about $12 million, which hmm. maybe is the kind of budget that we don't see anymore. We only get to see between, like, you know, $1 million or $100 million. Um But I, I just wish there were more of this because there are scripts out there. And even if it is a, a remake of a foreign language film, then And that's Mm. fine because, you know, Black Butterfly, the the French version was a TV movie, so it's never going to get really severe. So, uh, yeah, I do think I am going to go same sequence break. I am going to go for seven because, uh, Mm. like you say, I'd like to rewatch this with someone else uh, and just kind of uh, check the reaction out because that'd be pretty cool. But uh, yeah, I did like this greatly.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I am going to pop it up a little bit. I am going to go seven and a half for this one. Good, good. Um, Yeah, this this is probably my film of the month so far. It's the last part of the show, so it's down to me and Dave for some washing up. And I think this week we're on plastic plates, Dave, so not too much to worry about. <laughs> um, we're going to kick off with something called A Little Something for Your Birthday. Now, this stars Sharon Stone and Fanka Janssen, as well as Ellen Burstein and Tony Goldwyn. If it had any other sort of cover, I might have been interested in passing over this one with Sharon Stone and Famke Jansen especially Famke Jansen is one of my favourite actresses but Jesus Christ I mean that is just like you know the cover just screams chick chick flick really does yeah um, that is horrible that is aimed at a very specific audience you know um, men with testosterone stay away is what it basically says
3: yeah
2: it's World Cup time so um, they're 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 <laughs> they're releasing releasing stuff to you know it's, it's it's very you know it's very um traditional in, in the way that oh well it's World Cup time the men'll be busy. Come on women you, you all watch these this film women and you know, you know most of the women I know are watching the World Cup as well. Um so I'm not sure if that's really that you know it's twenty eighteen folks. It's not nineteen sixty five and all exactly. that the ladies on next to the kitchen sink, you know, doing the housework. Um yeah it just Ugh, it just doesn't look great. The American Post is no better, to be honest. And such a right. great cast, but it, it's far from inspiring.
1: Yes, I will not be touching that with a, with a barge pole. Okay, uh, next on our list is Angelica, um, starring Jenna Malone. This is a Victorian set um, potboiler about a young woman who gets married above a station, has a child, and there seems to be some sort of ghost or something knocking around their mansion. Um, I'm not quite sure about this one it's I, I don't know it, how about you it's a very sort of Daphne de Maurier kind of thing where it's, it's mainly romance with a bit of supernatural stuff going on in the background
2: yeah I just I really don't know it's directed by Mitchell Lichtenstein who um, oh got a wrong page there um, who you may know from um, uh, the last film he directed um, which was called Teeth which is oh, about yeah. a, a woman with, with, with teeth in her vagina. Mm. <laughs> so, which is cool. Um, yeah, I don't know about this. Uh, Victorian era stuff seems quite, to quite a trend uh, at the moment, um, which is fine, and period horror is always welcome. Mm. But with this, I just don't know. It's been sat on the shelf for about three years now. Um, and I don't know if it's, Got I mean, it's it, it's going down the very traditional um, ghost story route. Uh, it could work, but it's going to be a bit of a gamble. I've just ordered it simply because it's it's such a barren time for films at the moment with the, right. with, the with the football and that there's literally nothing out. So I'm trying to pick up everything I can just to keep my daily, because believe it or not, I do have daily customers that want a film every single day, and they can be a bit of a nightmare to please, so <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, will, I will pick this up and um, yeah, I'm intrigued about it I'm intrigued
1: Okay, uh, Moving on to our next one is called Gangland Revenge this is your favourite genre uh, hey. I believe. the the, um, the Cockney gangster um, I, I'm pretty sure I have seen the trailer for this but uh, it it's not made any impression on me whatsoever um, hmm. I, I don't know about this. It stars Matthew Jura uh, in BT um, from Game of Thrones, uh, Tony Fadil, Paddy Do- Doherty. Um, but yeah, some, sometimes these films can be okay, uh, like that one that we viewed a couple of weeks back.
2: Yeah,
1: I know. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Which I, I forgot the title of. No, it. So you, you watched it, didn't you? You, you watched did. it,
2: and I. Yeah. Yeah. But. This was originally called the Pugilist. P-U-G-I-L-I-S-T. Oh, was
1: that one? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. Don't know if that rings a bell for you. Um, it's, it's got a couple of, um, you know, nods so, at the Edinburgh Film Festival when it played there. Mm. A couple of nominations. It even got nominated for the Michael Powell Award for the best British feature film. Um, so, you know, let's let's mm. let's let's stall our disdain, and you never know it. It might be all right. But this mm. is one of the one of the rare. Uh the films that I'll be picking up tomorrow. Uh,
1: Tango One was the one I was thinking ah, about. Ah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that, that's right. that was that was pretty decent. Yeah.
3: Um
1: anyway, moving on, we've got a Western Yay! This is called Redemption The Last Outlaw. Mm. I mean you know, we, we talk we talk about sort of the the, the British um DTV market and changing names and things. Mm-hmm. Ch- changing DVD covers for specifically the, the UK market. Um, this the original title of this is "Gone Are the Days," which mm-hmm. is a very fitting title considering this is about a um, notorious outlaw who's now you know in his old age, and he you know he's, he wants to go out with a bang kind of thing. You know, die with his boots on, and he ends up in this town where Tom Berenger is the um, the local sheriff or marshal, and um, you know things are going to kick off basically. So, uh, but I get the impression this is kind of a talky one um, before you know the action kicks in. But, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, Lance Henriksen and Tom Berenger, and you know Chucking um, Danny Trejo in the mm. mix as well. It's a pretty decent cast, um, and yeah, Westerns seem to do well over here. And and
3: Steve
2: Ralback as well.
1: Right. Okay. So you got all that, and but the cover, the cover screams DTV, doesn't it?
3: Yeah. The UK
1: cover screams DTV, whereas the US cover, um, which under the title "Gone Are the Days." You know, it has a more sort of classic Western feel to it. You know, the color, the coloring on it screams the Searchers. Mm. You know that sort of film. Um Why they felt the need to change it, I really don't know. I really, it's crazy. it is crazy. It's crazy. You know, mm. but no, we'll, we'll go, we'll go with the washed-out look for ours. Thank you very much. But yeah, that that's that anyway. Um Oh, and we've added the tagline: Unforgiven meets the Revenant.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I, I love those taglines that aren't apportioned mm-hmm. to anybody and they're just thought by the film company as if to yeah. say, who can we, you know, Father's Day is just gone. Yeah. Anyone not bought their dad a Father's Day present? Ah, mm-hmm. here we go. Let's stick this in as for tomorrow morning and, and see how many people lap it up. Um, exactly. it's, it's, it's really bizarre. It's second Sight are releasing it as well, who are a really credible film company. They're also releasing Extra on Blu ray tomorrow, okay. which they spent. Ages uh, making look pretty. Um, But yeah, it's weird. But the thing is that this will shift thousands uh, next Mm -hmm. week and and probably make the moment an extra, which they've spent a fortune on.
1: Yeah. Now, yeah, we'll we'll probably be seeing this in the DTV chart um, in the next episode. Mm -hmm. Okay, we're just going to end on um, a re release. Now, we don't usually talk about re releases. Um, Actually, I'm going to mention another one in a minute. but this was originally called Skintilla when it was released by Metrodome, Metrodome back in uh, 2014. It's been renamed as the Hybrid um, under the Trinity label. Um, I really like this film. I really did. It's it's a man on a mission meets extraterrestrial kind of thing. You know, um, It's about this team of mercenaries sent by some shady guys to go and... Um, shut down some experiments going on in a sort of, I don't know, sort of Serbian or sort of East European bunker where mm-hmm. there's a civil war going on. So they've got to sort of try and sneak past, the, you know, um, all these soldiers to get into the bunker and then, you know, there's stuff going on inside the bunker that they... So it's one of those ones where you start off with like, you know, a dozen people or half a dozen people and eventually the sort of cast gets whittled down as they, as they go on. Um, but yeah, I, I really did like this. I actually saw yeah. this. I actually saw this. Uh, my wife was doing a Open University exam, and it was like a three-hour exam. Mm. And I was sat in the car park with my laptop, <laughs> um, and and it was a sh- sunny, sh- very sunny day, and I was basically sitting under my jacket with the um, with the laptop, so it wouldn't get any <laughs> glare on the screen. And I absolutely loved it. I just sort of sat there for like you know hour and a half, just just eating it up really.
3: Yeah, it's great. I'm, I'm
1: really, I'm really glad to see it getting a re-release, and I hope, I hope more people get to see it.
2: Yeah, why not? I mean, Metrodome went bust, so probably mm-hmm. under its old name, uh, Scintilla is is pretty much hard to come by. So yeah, even though it's got a different title, which isn't really necessary, it's uh, mm-hmm. it was shot in Halifax, uh, which was pretending to be mm-hmm. Eastern Europe. Um, but the main thing about the film is that if you're a fan of I Am Not a Serial Killer, which many people are, yep. then it was it was a film that Billy O'Brien made before that. Uh, which is it is definitely worth checking
1: out. Also stars um, John Glover, who was uh, really good in The Black Death as well. So Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah def- definitely worth checking out. And I just want to mention one other film, um, which is being released by Eureka um, tomorrow, I believe it's tomorrow, and that is um, a film called Iron Monkey. Yes,
3: um, it is. Yeah, which is yeah.
1: an absolutely superb film by uh, Yen Wu Ping, who, of course, did the... Um, choreography for Crouching Tiger, that sort of thing, and Hero and all that. Um, but this is a great sort of Robin Hood style movie about a, um, a physician by day who sort of becomes a masked Avenger by night and uh, Donnie Yen in one of his early roles in there as well. It's absolutely fantastic. It's been remastered into 2K, I believe. Mm-hmm. And we could have put out a new disc. Um, they've got a couple of these coming out. I know in the summer in August, they've got um, a double bill of Police Story and Police Story 2 as a, a yeah. two set, which I'm <coughs> really looking forward to as well. But um, yeah, I've, I've got like a a bad Chinese um, cop, work, copy, no, import, mm. I'm trying to say, of, of Iron Monkey. So I'm actually looking forward to replacing it. Yeah, you've
2: got two hours of interviews on that disc as well. So it'd uh, yeah. be really worth, uh, really worth picking up.
1: Absolutely. Anyway, that is the end of the washing up for this week. Um, so thanks today for for joining me. Mm-hmm. And for Rich for helping me get through the um, two Turkish films this week, um, Forgotten Soldiers and Brothers in Arms. And please, please, please join in again in two weeks time when our next episode. Thank you very much.